Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Lisa Hancock, Director of Worship Arts. And I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. During this time of transition from virtual to online and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today, we have the privilege of having a conversation with Dr. Marsha McPhee, connecting worship professionals and volunteers to their passion and depth of spiritual leadership is Marsha's aim in teaching and consulting, as well as equipping them with skills to carry this out. She's traveled extensively teaching and holding worship planning retreats. Dr. McPhee has designed and led worship for regional, national, and international gatherings of several denominations for the last 25 years, including the United Methodist General Conferences in 2008 and 2012. She is the creator and visionary of the Worship Design Studio, an online experience of coaching, education, and inspiration that currently serves over 1,000 congregations. She's the author of The Worship Workshop, a workbook for worship teams, and as an avid skier, wrote Spiritual Adventures in the Snow, Skiing and Snowboarding as Renewal for Your Soul. Her third book, Think Like a Filmmaker, Sensory-Rich Worship for Unforgettable Messages, has become a bestseller and is utilized by churches and seminaries all over the world. Hundreds of individuals have traveled to study with her at annual retreats at Lake Tahoe over the last 12 years. Welcome, Marsha. We are delighted to have you as our guest today. One of the things we like to start out with at the beginning is to just tell us how you're doing. What are you up to right now? What's going on? How, how are you coming to us today? Lisa and Derek, it's so great to be with you on this podcast. I'm doing great, rolling with the changes, as they say. (laughs) Teaching my seminary courses, getting ready to lead worship and speak at a women's retreat in the Northeast next week. I'm getting ready for my elevation retreat for worship leaders and teams in Tahoe coming up in May. So just a couple of things, as usual. (laughs) Do you ever slow down, Marcia? That's my question. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Well, be- before we get into the the meat of the conversation, I have to do a little fanboy stuff. I was served as a pastor in Indiana Conference for many years, and you came and did worship at the Indiana Annual Conference after we merged together the two conferences. And you came and you kind of led us, and and I've just been in love with you ever since. I, I just Aww. appreciated that. You opened <laughs> us up to a whole new possibility for worship in the local church. I remember that. Yeah, th- thank you. Um, yeah, I remember that conference. You know, I have d- I have led worship in almost every annual conference in the United mm-hmm. Methodist Church over the last 25 years. But I do remember that, especially because I think Bishop Woody White and I tore up the dance floor, like literally tore up the dance floor, one of those connecting dance floors, you know, with the little squares and we're out there like 
jamming that night that y'all had a party and the floor started coming apart, literally. So (laughs) I think that's a story that keeps getting told. I'm sure that's true. Well, I I just appreciate you so much in, in all that you do. But we ask you here because of a recent article that you wrote titled Metamorphosis Moment. Ritual artistry and the work of the people. I just, I love the article. I love the article partly because, as you always do, Marcia, it's so upbeat. It's so full of possibilities as opposed Mm. to, oh, we've got this mess we've got to clean up. You're just saying, let's let's go from this. So tell us a little bit more about why you wrote the article and Mm -hmm. and about that central image, the metamorphosis metaphor. How did you choose that and what does that mean for you in writing this article? Yeah, thank you for the question. I have written a couple of times before for this journal liturgy, which is a wonderful journal of the liturgical conference. And so they did an issue about the future of worship in the next 50 years. And so they asked those of us who contributed to, to really think about what worship and scholarship about worship would look like perhaps for the next 50 years, just to kind of try on our imaginations around that, what we see happening. And I started to use this metamorphosis moment metaphor idea when I did a webinar in the summer of 2021, as we were, we thought at the time coming out of pandemic, it kind of, Mm. you know, fits and starts after that. Mm. But I had the privilege of doing research that summer about spiritual entrepreneurship, which is a, a, a course that I teach through a a Lilly Grant. And I found incredible hope for the church in the examples of the churches that I researched that had done really amazing things to transform how they were doing ministry and and the ways that they were proclaiming the gospel. And, you know, it just became clear that transformation is the name of the game at the moment. We just cannot keep doing anything the same old way. It's not viable anymore for for many reasons. And so like caterpillars who do not actually have the capacity to duplicate themselves, they can't procreate. They just simply munch on what's in front of them, right? What's right there, (laughs) what they've always done, right? The only thing they know how to do. But like them, we will not survive unless we transform. Mm. The world is changing. It was changing before the pandemic, But like other times in history where cataclysmic change Mm -hmm. accelerated particular developments, we are at that moment. We're seeing things right now are not going to go back to the way they were before. And that could be a very good thing, although a very uncomfortable thing Mm -hmm. for us. So the circumstances, the context of our moment, the grant work, all of this lit a fire under me to explore from that summer on a variety of ways for churches to proclaim the good news through worship and not just on Sunday morning in a typical sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, it's uncomfortable for us. And so at the beginning of that article, I talk about how uncomfortable it is to hang upside down, you know, <laughs> writhing mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. as we struggle to to be in this work of transformation and to trust that holy darkness, mm-hmm. that place of unknowing and trust that enough that that is a necessary part of this process of of finding new ways to be church, to proclaim that liberating word that so many are in desperate need of. So 
it's been great fodder, that meta- metaphor. And in fact, I, I'm just about to launch a new Easter season series that's called Emerge, a metamorphosis mm-hmm. moment. And so it's really great, rich fodder for, for that kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing that I liked about the article is that it invited us to live in the cha- yeah. in the transformation. Yeah. We always want to get to the next thing. Let's fix right. this so that we can. Right. But you're saying that the transformation itself is a right. part of the process that we're in. And let's just embrace that because who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, we're, we're used to this image of a cocoon and then the butterfly. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. actually the research, which is, you know, I'm such a research geek. So <laughs> when I, you know, engage a metaphor, I'm going to really research that. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that happen inside that cocoon are fascinating and absolutely fabulous analogies for where we are. And there's a lot to be learned in that. So in in my Easter season series, you know, we don't just boom, pop out and then talk about butterflies. We spend seven weeks in that cocoon, Mm -hmm. gradually opening up that chrysalis Mm -hmm. and talking about what's actually happening in there, which is fascinating. I love that so much. And I love that you've brought in the language of trust, that there's Mm. something about being in the middle of the chrysalis where, you know, you've been out, you've been eating, you've been doing what you know, and suddenly you're compelled into whether, whether you want to or not, you're compelled into the chrysalis and it's dark and you're breaking down into goo and (laughs) you don't know what's about to happen, but you have this quote that just jumped out at me. You said, Mm. we can trust just as the caterpillar does, that we have what we need to accomplish next steps. Mm -hmm. The DNA for change and for whatever is next is already within us. Because that's that's the beauty of this metaphor, is there's nothing else in there except what the caterpillar has brought. Mm -hmm. And it is that which the caterpillar has brought that's breaking down and then becoming the next thing. And that's what you're encouraging us to recognize. But I wonder for us worship leaders and clergy and lay people and volunteers who are going, I'm in the goo. I'm in the dark. I am (laughs) the goo. What do I do right now? (laughs) What are some of those DNA for change and for whatever is next things that you would encourage us to really pay attention to and to hold on to right now? So it's a really great question, Lisa. Thank you so much. You know, one of the things that the caterpillar does have inside of it is called imaginal discs. Mm-hmm. So these globules of cells that for the caterpillar are not, are, they're, they're just dormant. They're not doing anything, but they ha- the caterpillar has it inside. And those imaginal discs are just waiting <laughs> for that moment when the caterpillar goes into that cocoon and they begin to transform and they begin to multiply and they begin to feed on the goo of the caterpillar, of the things the caterpillar doesn't need, right? For its next part of its life, which is an amazing way to think about that that we, we have had these purposes before this moment. And it doesn't mean that those things were not relevant or that those things are not important, but it does mean that we may need to use that that knowledge and that experience in a transformed way. It may mm-hmm. not look the same, mm-hmm. but it had a purpose. And, and so I think that they that we have these imaginal discs within us. 
we have what we need. It's, you know, and, and a couple of those things are creativity and imagination. These are God-given. You don't have to go to a workshop to get it. You don't have to go to get a degree for it. You, We are just imbued with this creativity and imagination. It's part of our DNA. So part of what this means is that we have the ability to marry the ancient or the not-so-ancient forms, previous forms that we've come to rely on with today's context, with creativity that helps us to move forward in ways that are viable in this moment. So, you know, creativity is really mostly about being able to synthesize, Mm. to see two seemingly disparate things relate to one another in new ways and see the possibilities that come out of that. So I wanna give you a couple of examples. You asked for examples, but I wanna start with one that's a non-technology related example because Mm -hmm. the future of worship is not all about technology, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to give you a technology example as well, but I want to start with a non-technology example. So let's think about what we're hearing these days about mental health and the problem of isolation that is still with us as reverberations of the pandemic. It's really pretty critical. And as spiritual leaders, we have to pay attention to that part of our context, I think, in a big way. So many churches have for a long time erred on the side of formality in terms of the ethos or the feel of worship. And some in the contemporary worship movement of the late 20th century adopted something that felt more casual, but still utilized a kind of separation between those leading worship and those in the congregation. But one of the things in our toolkit as leaders is knowledge of what is needed in the act of pastoral care, right? We know we have a vocabulary of pastoral care. And, you know, if we haven't dusted off those skills after lockdown, we really need to. I think that as we need to address this connection in our ritualizing now more than ever, we have to think about what comes from my theater background, and that's breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. So breaking the fourth wall is just this term that talks about, you know, the energy or the presence of those who are on the stage, breaking that fourth wall, which is the proscenium edge, and really connecting with those on the other side of that. And so I think that taking seriously, creating ritual that that's more and more the liturgia, the work of the people in expanding participation and connection is so very vital in our time. So we can synthesize our understanding about what it means to create care and then insert that more obviously into our worship. Inviting actual conversation would be one way between people so that, you know, there are a lot of people who come to church and that's their one connection to other people. Mm-hmm. in the week, mm-hmm. right? So making making our ritualizing more connectional and conversational, inviting interaction with symbols and metaphors that relate to everyday life so that our lives outside of worship are infused with the message more readily, right? We keep seeing it. And, and not only that, and I will, you know, give a nod to the worshipers who are worshiping through some sort of technology, but bringing these these everyday symbols to life allows us to see our actual, you know, home environments or wherever we're worshiping from as part of sacred space. Mm -hmm. 
infusing our leadership language with being real kind of language. We call it self-referential language in, in language theory, but language that speaks directly to our hearts and minds and souls as a way that we weave what I call worship leader as spiritual director in the elements of the service. So these are, you know, the, the, the really concrete example is that we don't just have the elements of worship, but that the way we weave it as leaders, the language that we use to, to connect the pieces are ones that really speak to the heart, really connect out. And so, you know, this is something that I've been teaching and modeling for a long time, but we seem to have found an urgency about that mm. because of this moment in time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something we have within our vocabularies. We just have to use it more. We have to just be really connectional in our leadership mm-hmm. uh, with folks. Mm-hmm. So that's the non-technology example. And, you know, there's many other examples I could use, but just for the sake of brevity, let me just add one more. And that's the technology example. And one of the skill sets that worship teams acquired in the pandemic was the ability to shoot and edit videos and to walk their parishioners through doing that as well so that they could do that at home, send that in. And we, you know, just incredible creative things happened there. And we got a whole new toolkit. We got a whole new skill set. And the fact that most of our technology for doing this is now affordable and accessible means that doors are opening. I mean, amazing doors for various ways of bringing the word alive. And I've been telling folks who study with me, don't, don't just put that back on the shelf now that people are, you have some people back in your space. Keep using that. You know, it's a great way to keep the, the congregation that is worshiping remotely or worshiping through technology, you know, present in a, in a big way to have someone, you know, to read scripture, uh, do use those video editing skills like you did during lockdown mm-hmm. and actually play that in the sanctuary so that, so that it's not sort of this, okay, the real worship is happening in the space mm-hmm. and the people at home are just watching, right? Right. So anyway, that's kind of, you know, the sensory rich nature of that I've been teaching for decades now has this component of skill set that we have that we can continue to use in really amazing ways. I think it's absolutely ironic that I wrote Think Like a Filmmaker mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never imagined that I would then spend two years like actually teaching people how to be filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, in, in some ways... Even this new stuff, this this article that you wrote, it's congruent with where you have always been. Yeah, and, and it I really appreciate is. that. Yeah. I, I couldn't help, Marsha, as I was reading your article and thinking about the metaphor of remembering a cartoon I once saw that has two little caterpillars on the ground and a butterfly flying over, and the caption is, you'll never get me up in one of those things. <laughs> how do you deal with resistance? You know, how... How do you yeah. deal with those who say, oh, good, it's over. We can come back and do what we yeah. always did. How do we grab a hold? Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about repackaging as mm-hmm. one of the terms that you use. Mm-hmm. But but as you were talking just now, you were talking about grabbing a hold of what was and, and yeah. bringing in the new. How do we get over yeah. the resistance to this <laughs> metamorphosis that's happening around us? Well, you know, caterpillars only have a particular lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, I think that's And then the it's truth. over. <laughs> and so, you know, really it is for them, uh, transform or die. And, you know, the butterfly is going to die as well. I mean, everything is always transforming, right? No mm-hmm. matter what the life mm-hmm. form is. But if we want to experience the kind of soaring that's possible, to use that metaphor, then we really do have to address our fear, Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that I always say is that you have to you have to proclaim it. You have to say it out loud. You have to talk about it. So, you know, that's why I'm doing this Easter season series called Emerge. It's why earlier this year I did a, a, a worship series called Reshaped that actually addresses our fear of change in kind of a lighthearted and yet serious way mm-hmm. to get us to laugh at ourselves, right? So cartoon, I, I need to use that cartoon for this series. So it really is about, like, like be a leader, talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, be honest about it. We can't just keep ignoring it. So I, I really think it's about, you know, worship is a fabulous opportunity. Worship in all its forms, a fabulous opportunity to offer the good news wrapped around all of our fear and all of our doubts and all of our, you know, insecurities. You know, and I always say, if we can't talk about this in our faith community, where for God's sake can we, right? Mm -hmm. And as people are finding other places where actually reality is being talked about, then, you know, they go in that direction. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really what we we must do. And, And you mentioned this word repackaging. So as a result of really asking myself this question about how do we proclaim the good news, not just in our typical sanctuaries on a Sunday morning, I thought about this improv game, have an improv background, uh, called Yes And, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're going with, it's this kind of going (laughs) withness, this mindset of exploration. And I mean, this is the moment for us to embrace this explorative kind of Mm -hmm. mindset. So yes, and says, okay, I see what you're saying. And let me build on that, right? Mm -hmm. So you get to more and more ideas. So the yes, and for worship, I think, is taking what we plan for Sunday morning. I'm not saying get rid of Sunday morning at all, but take what we plan for Sunday morning and then repackage it in many different ways to meet people where they are in this rhythm flexible world, because that's Mm. what we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And it became more rhythm flexible because of pandemic, because we got into, it was long enough, we got into different rhythms. So some examples are, we have started to make out of our worship series, one day retreats that are the equivalent of a series, right? So you go through various scriptures and you use fodder from from the worship, a theme song and hymns and whatever, you know, but some activities and liturgy. And there are some people who will come to a one-day retreat, one-day, let's say, Lent retreat, mm-hmm. but they but they just, at coming every Sunday morning is just not in their mm-hmm. rhythms. Mm-hmm. And if we can get honest about that and then and then be spiritual leaders to those people as well, then that's really... I mean, we're called to this in this moment. I mean, hello, you know, especially those of us who are are Wesleyan to our bones, you know, 
we got to take it to the streets, people. Uh, you know, uh, this also is in our DNA. So podcasts, sort of repackaging mm-hmm. the recording you did for Sunday, because most people are now recording in some form or fashion, but creating a podcast, a short podcast, especially if you have a lot of people who are commuters in your community. Mm-hmm. Devotional journals. We have started putting together devotional journals for small group or individual use that have some of the fodder from the the actual liturgies so that people can use that whenever activities that go along with the theme we we just had at my partner's church an international international intergenerational game day um last week based on the fact that we're doing a lent series that uses scrabble as the main metaphor for connection and for Mm -hmm. figuring things out and we had a game day and there were people who showed up for game day that don't come to worship Mm -hmm. And this was such a wonderful way of connecting with them. Open house experiences for the community, creating the sanctuary stations in the sanctuary and having open house hours. There will be some people in your community who would never step foot in your sanctuary for, say, an Advent Sunday, but would come in to see the incredible, beautiful decorations Mm -hmm. and have some, you know, some quiet time and maybe there's music playing. So I call it soulful infiltration, right? (laughs) You know, infiltrating the other rhythms of life that people actually have Mm -hmm. and that have become more varied over over time. So does this make sense? I mean, it's it's really about taking what we are already planning and then thinking of all the ways we can reconnect, connect the yes and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes Sunday morning and, and embracing that mm-hmm. rather than rather than saying, oh, people who don't come back are just lazy. And I have right. had people say that, yes, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that hurts yeah. my heart because we cannot we cannot bring this kind of judgment into it. We just have to say, okay, we've got these skill sets, we've got these, we can be creative and imaginative, and we can think of many, many ways to connect with people in ways we never have before. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I hear behind all of this rich, imaginative fodder that you're giving us to really hook onto is that to do the improv yes and, we have to practice saying yes. And it's not just yes to Sunday morning worship, right? But it's it's yes to our community. Yeah, it's not, right. it's it's learning to let go of the, no, it's not the same. No, right. I don't understand this. No, the technology is too much of a barrier, whatever mm-hmm, it is. Mm-hmm. And learning how to say yes to what we are and yeah. yes to what our assets are and yes to what abundance mm-hmm, is all around mm-hmm. us. And I, I just wonder if you have any wisdom for us in what it means to say yes. Because I, mm. I love using improv games when I teach as well. And it's mm-hmm. amazing to see what happens in a couple of them yeah. with those games to get people to start saying yes to each other. And suddenly right. the whole tenor of the room changes. It does. So, so what, 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 what does it take to just train us to say yes before mm. we can even say yes and with our worship? Acknowledge the grief of the no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we must. And this is interesting in the the entrepreneurial churches that I that I researched in this grant. One of the highest, most effective, most necessary skill sets for the ones who leaders who were successfully helping their congregations transform 
was knowing how to ritualize grief. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging the no, not mm-hmm. just stuffing the no, but saying, mm-hmm. I hear your no, and there's good reasons for that. You know, th- saying no is one way that we learn to protect ourselves. And saying no is one way that we say, pause, wait a second. And that's not, none of those things, protecting ourselves and pausing for the sake of figuring out what's happening, that's not bad. Right. So getting rid of this black and white thinking or dichotomous thinking, it's a better way to say that, dichotomous thinking of that no is bad, yes is good. So as much as I love and believe in creativity and imagination, on the way there, we have to acknowledge the nose, the fear, the pause. We have to do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was it was really interesting because the the research I was doing, we thought I was doing it with a, another professor who is a business professor, and we were looking at. We thought we were going to find okay, what are the business skills that people need <laughs> to help transform and make themselves you know financially viable? Blah blah blah. And there are some, but the number one one was being able to ritualize grief in a very productive way so that the and, the yes and, can actually have a home. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned in the article that my friend Jason Moore came and co-presented with me at my planning worship planning retreat last year that churches come to. And I had him there. He wrote both and about, uh, really, it's about hybrid hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talked about both and, I talked about yes and. It was a great combination. And we felt that change in the room that you just described, Lisa. We felt that change. As we began to go through this retreat, we began to feel people's energy from, oh my gosh, what are we going to do in this next year? To, oh my gosh, what is possible mm-hmm. in this next year? Mm-hmm. But it do- it does also take getting out there, listening to podcasts like this, listening to people who are kind of trying things on for size, not that everything will work in your community because it's all contextual, Mm -hmm. but to expose ourselves to new ideas. Because Mm -hmm. if we don't expose ourselves to new ideas, we, we can't even imagine it, right? We have no frame of reference for it. It's one of the reasons why I included the story in the article about a friend of mine whose church was an, is an urban location, but a, like a lot of urban churches have a lot of people who live in suburbia who drive in every mm-hmm. week for it. Well, they had found pre-pandemic that, you know, they they didn't really have good connections. There was not small group ministry, not a lot of mission because people were so spread out that there weren't these organic opportunities happening. But during pandemic, in the lockdown, they started having worship over Zoom, and they got to know each other so much better than they ever had. And it created a kind of community that they didn't want to lose. So they instituted this once a month or once a liturgical season. We're going to have big festival worship. We're going to come to, we're all coming to the sanctuary the choir is going to rehearse for this, you know, once a season thing. And they have small choir and they found that they, if they were practicing less pieces, they actually could do them better mm-hmm. um, than mm-hmm. trying to put something together for every week. And on the other weeks, they they have continued with their Zoom worship. So it has created this 
really incredible sense of, wow, we can have both and not and, and not have that not just be, oh, we have live stream and we have people in the space every week. But they really looked at what their community needed, the advantages that they found in pandemic, and then what they could do to make their sanctuary-led worship even better by acknowledging the reality mm-hmm. of their context. Mm-hmm. And I was very inspired, not just by that model, which I think is a really interesting model, but also by their process of discernment and mm-hmm. and noticing what did we learn and what can we benefit from by implementing something different out of what we learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I... Ugh, this is just so rich. And one of the things I just want to pull out that you have said is uh-huh. that to say yes, we have to ritualize grief. Yeah. We have to ritualize around the grief of the no. Yeah. And that word ritual can yeah. have, depending on where you are and how you feel, it can put some people off. Nope, we're not, you know, rituals We don't old. have ritual. We don't have ritual. <laughs> Ritual's old. We're doing the new thing. Right, right, it's right. not ritual. And then other people are like, give me my rituals. You cannot change the language yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. And so... One of the things I love about your article and just the work you do in general is that you have this emphasis in your advocacy for ed- the education of worship leaders in the field of ritual studies. That this yeah. is not just like a day in introduction to Christian worship uh, right. for those who do go to seminary. And we have yeah. plenty of people who are fantastic right. worship leaders who mm-hmm. aren't taking introductory courses right. in Christian worship at seminary. Instead, you're saying like, we we need... A course. We need yeah. intentional work in ritual studies for yeah. clergy and our worship leaders and volunteers. So tell us just a little mm-hmm. bit more, whet our appetite just a little bit about sure. what is the field of ritual studies mm-hmm. and how can it be helpful to us in this metamorphosis moment? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I And as you say, I'm a big advocate for this. And I love that you introduced this as, you know, like the stereotypical way we think of this word ritual. It's become so narrow in our lexicon. Mm-hmm. And I want to blow that up. I want <laughs> I want to expand that because actually when we talk about ritual and ritualizing, which I, I prefer to use actually, ritualizing, it's an active verb. Um, and it's it's something we do every day of our lives in our private lives as well as our corporate lives. It is basically our intentional pattern making. And we do that. I like, I've got my cup of coffee right here, Yeah. right? The day doesn't start without my cup of coffee. That's ritualizing, mm-hmm. right? We intentionally form format our lives, our being together, our communities, and we ritualize our rites of passage, which are many, many, many more than the church actually has official rituals for, <laughs> Right. So much ritualizing must happen. And it, it, again, this is part of our DNA. It's just, we are what I call meaning mongers. We search for meaning and humans have always done that as long as we've been humans that, you know, that developed that particular cognitive curiosity mm-hmm. and that is to find meaning. And so the field of ritual studies is really a field of 
asking those questions around why do humans ritualize? Why have we done this ever since we were humans? What have we done around the world? How, what are the symbols that we use? So it's a fascinating field and it's an interdisciplinary field. So it brings mm -hmm. in anthropology, it brings sociology, it brings neurophysiology, it brings in all of these disciplines to sort of focus on this meaning-making thing that we humans do. Now, the reason why I advocate this for people who are going to be leaders of, of faith communities is that when we study in ritual studies, we start with things like symbol theory. And symbols are the first language of worship. Mm -hmm. Even the way we put words together are sim is symbolic. Everything we do, music and visual arts and all of the all of the worship arts have symbol as their core. Rites of passage, navigating what we call liminality, which is what we're in right now, big time. And we're always in it in some form. But right now, we are in a big moment of liminality. And that's mm -hmm. a ritual studies term that talks about we are not who we were and we're not yet who we're, we are becoming. We're in the cocoon mm -hmm. and we're in the goo. That navigating liminality is something that ritual studies really focuses on. Communitas is a, is a ritual studies term that, that talks about who we are together and how we create those connections together, which has both sociological roots, but also neurological roots. There are things happening in our brains, and that's partly what my dissertation was about. So politics and power and how ritual is used in that for good or evil, when we know these building blocks, the deep structures of what we're doing as humans and translate that into Christian worship or Christian ritualizing, then when change is needed, we're not simply relying on the elements of our rituals that are breaking down. But we have this solid foundation and the structure to rebuild and reimagine our ritualizing because we know the, the building blocks. Mm -hmm. We're not just relying on the decorations, the, you know, <laughs> the way we've decorated our houses. We know how the house was put together and we can build another house. And this has been happening throughout human history. We have not always worshipped this way. Christians have not always worshipped this way. You know, what this way being however you do it at your church. But this is part of our imaginal discs. We, you know, and, and if we train our leaders in these deep building blocks, this deep structure, they can ha help us and help everyone reimagine and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm -hmm. but to say, how else do we take these absolutely essential elements of our faith narrative and reimagine them in this context. Hmm. Let me come back to where I started with the whole fanboy thing. The gift <laughs> you gave me, Marcia, mm. when you came all those years ago, and I don't, I yeah. don't even want to count how long ago that no, was. No, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> the gift you gave me, out of, out of many things, but the one that stuck with me and transformed how I do worship, did worship, mm. still do worship, think about worship, was you said, pay attention to the moment. Mm. As an academic, I love what you were just talking about. Let's step back. Let's analyze. Let's think about mm -hmm. that. But as a worship leader, what are we doing in the moment? How do mm -hmm. we pay attention to the rituals that we're doing? Let's find our meaning. Let's draw it. Let's not just do a baptism. Let's let's reflect on it. Let's embrace mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Let's live into that. That's and right. and what I see changing now is that the moment is transferable. 
Mm. Because not everybody's at the same time. That's part of the yes mm-hmm. and, you know. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we help people in their moment, whenever their moment might be, embrace yeah. in that? I, I'm just so grateful to you and all mm-hmm. that, that you have done and are doing. And there's so much, as as Lisa said a moment ago, a rich conversation. We're going to have to ask you back to talk about some of the things that yep. okay. open in my head. If you're willing to come and talk to us again. Yes. That's a definite yes. <laughs> Good. Okay, <great. laughs> well, we really appreciate well, thank, it. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and I will just say that I am a big fangirl of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I think that is that moment you're talking about being you know mm. being present in the moment being present to the spirit being present to what's happening that that we are not alone in this and that in this precious moment in this amazing wondrous moment the spirit is moving and will continue to move and so that is that is good news we have what we need amen mm-hmm. amen mm-hmm. Marsha, thank you so much for spending this time with us, and and we will invite you back, and we'll have further conversation as as things develop. I want to hear how the Easter series goes once you release <laughs> okay. that. And, and what that <laughs> Great. Is. And we want to say thank you to those who are listening. Thank you for joining us. We hope it's been helpful to you. And remember that you can always find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And we want to know what you think, so send us an email uh, through that. There's a contact us link there. Pay attention. We want to hear. Live in the moment. Embrace what the Holy Spirit is doing with you, where you are in the goo as we are being transformed. So until next time, we'll be praying for and with you and your congregation. So may God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.